You've made it to episode six of Your New Mexico Government. Thanks for coming along. I'm Cave Movahead. This week, we felt the action at the Roundhouse pick up some speed, and along with that, there were some shakeups that threw journalists and the public off balance. So YNMG is taking the day to focus on access and transparency. Monday, we were supposed to have a hearing for Senate Bill 8, but that got pushed to Wednesday, then extended to Friday. There was another Senate bill aimed at making sure farm workers could get some extra pay this year. That passed through a committee without the public getting a chance to look over the text first. And away from the legislature, the state's Department of Health has been making changes over the last couple weeks to how it engages with journalists and the public in the weekly COVID-19 updates. Your New Mexico government is sponsored by the Thornburg Foundation with the goal of creating a more open government that's transparent and accessible to all. KUNM and New Mexico PBS are working together on this, and we feel like this is the perfect opportunity to talk about why transparency is important. Today, we'll chat with Source New Mexico's editor-in-chief and a friend of YNMG, Marisa DeMarco, about trouble Source reporters have had covering the legislature this year. Then, Nash Jones and Jared Ebenreck from KUNM check in on how hard it can be to get public records and access to civil servants, even in a pandemic where we all acknowledge the need for extra effort on transparency. Here's a spoiler alert. I think each story gets some semblance of a happy ending. Let's start with Marisa DeMarco. I'm the editor-in-chief of Source New Mexico and the former executive producer of Your New Mexico Government. All right. Welcome back, Marisa. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Kaveh. You published a column this week in Source New Mexico titled Secrecy is a Pathogen 2, where you discuss some of the challenges journalists and the public face during the legislative sessions both the high chance of catching a bug from someone in a packed building, but really the difficulty people can have with getting documents and answers about legislation that's being proposed. I know some of your reporters had a tough week covering the Roundhouse. Can you share some of the details? Sure. So I think this is all a result of both legacy issues around transparency, like even before the pandemic, but that, of course, like many things become more sharp in this time. There's rules and barriers to who's allowed into the session. People have to be vaccinated and provide proof of that. And it also can just be dangerous if you say you have a chronic health condition and catching Omicron is, is would be a really bad idea for you. There's different health challenges and reasons that people at this time really need to be able to access the session remotely. One of the challenges that came up is that substitutions and amendments were floating around on paper copy only, so like on eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. There was actually a case where a bill about the Chile Labor Incentive Program was approved by lawmakers, but it had only ever been seen on physical copies, so it was never posted online. So that means lawmakers were um, approving legislation without the public having had a chance to see it. And that's really not the way this kind of thing is supposed to work. I had a reporter who caught coronavirus in December, Austin Fisher, he wrote a column about it. It's possible that he caught it at the Roundhouse. So as I'm thinking about the regular session now, 
it's a challenge to consider when and where and how many reporters to send into the roundhouse. And I just want to point out one of your reporters, Patrick Lohman, wrote an article on that Chile legislation. We'll get a link up on the Your New Mexico government webpage for that. That is a really interesting story that he's been pursuing about um, a pay boost for Chile farm workers who, because there was a labor shortage, and so the state's signature crop might not have come in. So this week, Sean Griswold decided that he would go ahead and go to the roundhouse in person, which sounds like maybe it's going to start to solve the problem of some measures only being printed on physical sheets of paper. But it doesn't really because it, it turns out it's pretty hard to get a copy of those sheets of paper. And it just really creates an opportunity. I'm not saying that this has happened, but it does create an opportunity where people could kind of play games with that, right? Like if you had a substitute or an amendment and you thought that it might be kind of controversial and you didn't want the headache, you could not give it to anyone. The media wouldn't see it. The public wouldn't necessarily see it. Now, I can't help but wonder, by comparing secrecy to a pathogen, are you then kind of implying that this kind of behavior or these actions are contagious? Like that once a lawmaker starts holding back legislation until the last minute, that others might start doing it too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think all of our poor inclinations or bad habits can be contagions like that, where somebody uses the technicality of a rule to their advantage, and then other people see that as an option, and then it just starts to happen more and more. So yeah, potentially. The issue of transparency in government is not limited to the legislature, and I know you've run into roadblocks as a reporter when covering the police and the city of Albuquerque. How did you handle those situations? Oh, (laughs) tons of different ways. There's a couple things that I've been thinking about lately. One of them is that you have to keep trying. And part of the game around a lack of transparency is that they can kind of kill your story if they don't give you documents or information that you need. Within the law, sometimes they'll get you a document or information within three days or 15 days or 30 days, you know, and on and on and on. They can kind of keep extending that deadline. And you just start to lose the story thread or the story is now getting kind of old. And so after you get those documents 30 days down the line, like, are you still going to be able to write about it? And the whole re it's not so much just my experience as a reporter, but that's information I'm trying to get to other people. I think that one thing is just not to give up and to really keep track and stay on it and make all the phone calls that you need to make, even if it takes hours and hours and hours, and even if you're getting bounced from place to place to place. Another strategy is that I've often organized reporters or editors across news outlets to try to work on these transparency issues together. I think there's a time when we really thought of uh, news outlets as being very competitive which meant that there wasn't a lot of communication necessarily between multiple outlets. But when we're talking about transparency issues, these are things that we can kind of fight together. And it it does make a difference if you have multiple outlets asking why public information isn't available. That spirit of collaboration really counters that competitive idea where, I don't know, someone might get a document or a record or a video of a police shooting and 
keep it all to themselves because they want to scoop versus, hey, let's share this between all the outlets. Let's all fight for it together because who we really work for is the public and we have to get this information to them. And I guess the other thing that I was thinking, COVID, when I wrote the column this week, yeah, technically the lawmakers were within their rights and within the technicalities of their job to do it this way. They're allowed to print those papers and to have that be the only way that those amendments are seen before they're being considered. But it just is not great. You know, so it's not just a question of like, is this legal? Is this allowed? It's a question of if we're really thinking about transparency, that's not a great situation. That was Marisa DeMarco from Source New Mexico. We'll come back to her in just a bit for some final thoughts, but Source wasn't the only news outlet to be tripped up with opaque behavior from policymakers recently. Here's Nash Jones talking about covering the New Mexico Voting Rights Act, that's Senate Bill 8, earlier this week, and then Jared Ebenreck discussing challenging changes to the Department of Health's weekly COVID-19 updates. Earlier this week, you, a member of the press with relatively good access to government, ran into a roadblock when trying to cover Senate Bill 8. Tell us what happened. I was actually covering it remotely, which I think is important to note because I think that my experience of covering the bill would have looked quite different, maybe, if I were in person at the Roundhouse. Because the voting rights bill was supposed to get heard in the Rules Committee on Monday. It it got bumped from the agenda and uh, during a discussion where they were kind of letting people know, hey, we're not going to hear this bill today. Senator Katie Duhigg, who's a co-sponsor of the bill and also sits on the Rules Committee, mentioned that she was going to be submitting an amendment and she wanted folks to be able to sit with it before discussion. And so they were going to hopefully schedule it for Wednesday, which they ended up doing. And Senator Wirth said those amendments that Senator Duhigg was putting forward were going to get passed out that day. But I was sitting there watching on the live stream, like many people in the public, I'm sure, were too. And it wasn't clear to me if that meant that the amendment was getting passed out in committee in that moment or or not. And so... I went to the website and you can look up legislation by number and it has usually all the amendments and and some different documents and analyses of the bill there. And there was no amendment posted on the website. So I called the chair of the committee's office. I called Senator Duhigg's office. I called the rules committee's office. And I kind of was calling all around saying, hey, Uh, It looked like this amendment got passed out, uh, paper copies, do you have it? I got quite a bit of contradictory information. One office that I called said, oh yeah, Senator Duhigg was in here, she had a stack of them, paper copies, she didn't leave me one or I would send it to you, sorry, call her office. And I was like, well, I just called her office and her office was saying, hey, it's still in process, we can't actually share this until it's submitted into the committee and it hasn't been, Um, we also don't have those paper copies, we're not quite sure what you're talking about, if we did have them, you would need to get permission from the senator. So I went to the senator, I tried to get permission through email, and I never heard back. So I was kind of just running all over the place, and it wasn't clear to me, do these paper copies exist? If they do, are they going to get submitted online? Eventually, I found a fellow reporter from another outlet had gotten it from a senator in committee, 
one of these paper copies and he agreed to just snap some photos and send it over to me, which was so helpful. I love to see uh, reporters collaborating rather than competing for stories. I think that that's a beautiful thing that we should be doing more and more. But then the next day I called kind of some of the same offices and they were saying, yeah, because they had told me they'd probably get posted online the next day. And I was like, it's still not there. Turns out this morning, in fact, the basically the amendment was folded into a full committee substitute bill. So there was another change that, again, was not posted online. So I showed up at committee and not only did those amendments not ever get posted online, but now a full bill substitute, which has not been posted online. And fortunately enough, they acknowledged that at the top of the hearing and said that they were going to hold discussion of it until it did get posted online, recognizing it as a transparency issue, not only for the media, of course, but for the public. Well, it sounds then like you got a sense from their discussion this morning that the lawmakers are getting the message that there is a problem with access and transparency. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, It was how the hearing of SB8 today began. They were contemplating, okay, how can we split this up so that we can have a to-be-continued situation on Friday? But a significant part of that conversation was, hey, we have this substitute bill that no one in the public has seen. There was concern from a number of lawmakers, including the chair of the committee, uh, Senator Ivy Soto, and so they said that they would post it today online and then discuss it on Friday and vote on it on Friday uh, once that had been done. And so they even took the time to kind of explain where it would be posted on the website, which is on the bills page, and what it would be named, and that people should not refer to the original introduced bill, but to this substitute bill that is proposed. And so I think they did quite a bit on the live stream, really directed at the public. Thank you so much for being with me today, Nash. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Now let's chat with KUNM reporter Jared Ebenreck. Jared, you recently reported on transparency issues while covering the Department of Health's weekly COVID-19 update press conferences for KUNM. What happened? Things started with the update on January 19th and a fairly radical change in format. They had done the update live on social media. They would also invite media to a separate webinar wherein you could ask questions, respond to the presser in live format. That changed on January 19th where they suddenly made it closed to media only and you would have to submit your questions for approval to be selected to be invited. They gave various reasons for this such as labor needs and hours spent preparing for the press conferences and who's available. And it's clear also that they're going through a communications shuffle in terms of who's running communications for NMDOH. But nonetheless, it did receive our coverage, coverage out of Farmington and comments from the New Mexico Foundation for Open Government about the fact that it's not exactly a press update if you have to get your questions approved to be invited. There's really no opportunity then for interaction, you know, live on the fly or reaction from the press, follow-up questions about what it is they're presenting in the press conference then at that point. Yeah, I think most of the journalists were more struck by the weirdness in that one in particular of the Department of Transportation communications person, Marissa Mace, reading our questions back to Dr. Scrace. 
And about a week later, they changed it where we could then in the following press conference on January 26th, be invited to the webinar and ask our questions live. And there was some space to do follow-up, but they didn't go back to the social media live. And so there was another round of questions about why is this not on social media live? But this week on February 2nd, they have a social media feed and the press is back in able to ask their questions live without pre-screening. So the same format that was there three weeks ago is, or four weeks ago at the start of the year is now back in place at the start of February with no commitment to keep it that way as they get a new communications director. But it's sort of a victory. I mean, we have now a live public stream and reporters can ask their own questions and join the webinar and respond to the uh, presentation live. I'd say that's a victory for the press. I'm wondering with those social media feeds, did they ever take questions from the public through social media? And that was mostly a public service for people to pick up and also broadcast if they needed to, but not a place that they were taking active questions. If the reason that all the communications and the update changed is because there's a shuffle in the communications department, that does affect how press coverage happens. And in this case, it did impact how press coverage would have happened, how public knowledge and access would have happened during the Omicron surge. So that is a little bit, you know, that's a thing. The lack of transparency emerged right in middle January when the Omicron surge was highest. That becomes a question of if we don't really have the staffing and we still need to get the information out, what does that do to public information? And I think it's fair to admit that it's hard, but the reality is there is still an obligation there, whether or not the staff is in place. And everybody there is humble. I think the question that came up for me and the news director was primarily, it has been two years of these. It would seem like the format that has worked would be more or less stable. And leaving that to the discretion of the new communication staff does leave room for questions about whether or not this format changes one more time. We've been through three press conferences now where they, at the beginning, invite us to be accommodating and forgiving for the changes in format that they're playing around with. Okay, Jared Ebenreck from KUNM News, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to Nash and Jared for sharing their experiences covering government over the last couple of weeks. We're glad to see things are working out after reporters and government officials talk over their concerns. Let's go back to Marisa DeMarco from Source New Mexico for some final thoughts. Marisa, I want to circle around to some more big picture questions. Obviously, the press needs access to government in order to do our jobs well, but government officials also have jobs to do. I've heard the complaint that dealing with the press takes a lot of time that could be spent doing good for people. Should there be an effort? Is it even possible to strike a balance? I think doing well by the public, doing a good job means that you have to be able to have those conversations and explain the decisions and the deal making that you are doing on behalf of your constituents. And anything less is not doing a good job for the public. Finally, Overall, are you satisfied with how lawmakers have reacted to criticisms from journalists of opaque behavior? Yeah, I would say so far so good. We had that column, but we also did include information about substitute bills approved in committee, I should say, before the public could really see them. And two committee chairs changed what they were doing. One wrote an email to Source New Mexico reporter Patrick Lohman 
kind of directly tying it to the coverage that we had done and indicated that as long as she was chair of that committee, the this is the Senate Conservation Committee, that she was going to make sure bills were posted digitally. So that, oh, I don't know, was nice. It's great to have a response from lawmakers so quickly about this concern. It's maybe a small thing, but it feels really good. And I hope that maybe this idea really spreads across the legislature. I mean, why not put it within the Roundhouse's own rules, right? That if lawmakers are going to consider something, they should post it online. And I'll say that both Nash Jones and Jared Ebenrack also felt like they kind of, you know, one of them used the words like it had a happy ending. After they aired some criticism, there was a, a good resolution that really was positive for both the press and for the public. So maybe that's the theme. Maybe that's the theme. We all can improve. We all can do better for transparency and for each other. And it takes uh, just a little bit of flexibility and, and foresight. Marisa DeMarco, Editor-in-Chief at Source New Mexico, thank you so much for coming back to visit your old home at your New Mexico government. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to all of our guests today, Marisa DeMarco, Nash Jones, and Jared Ebenreck. It's great to end on a positive note when discussing government transparency. We'll get links up to their stories for you on our show's webpage. Find your New Mexico government online at KUNM.org under the News tab and at NewMexicoPBS.org and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, a big thank you to the Thornburg Foundation for supporting this project from KUNM and NMPBS. We appreciate Thornburg's dedication to good and open government. Stay up to date on all of the latest from the legislative session by following KUNM and New Mexico PBS and by following the hashtag YNMG on social media. With just about two weeks left in the session, things are about to start moving fast. And if you're watching legislation or something else in government that you think we should pay attention to, send us a message at ynmg at kunm.org. We'll be back with more in just a few days. I'm Kaveh Movahead. Thanks for listening.